0: Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. If you want to listen live in the central Indiana area, you can hear us on 93.5 FM and 107.5 FM. Stephen Holder joins us. I'm a full-service show right here, Stephen. You know what I mean? If a husband oh, goes to I, the can, if a husband knows, that I'll make sure the wife is looking around and wondering where he is. He's just in the can.
1: And I appreci- I'm sure he appreciates you telling not just her <laughs> But all of the listening audience, I I bet he appreciates that.
0: Well, I mean, and I know this. I mean, Jason Jason feels a little bit older. And much like me, I think he's probably got to go to the bathroom more often than he used to. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I, well, I mean, just keep going. I'm sure
1: Jason is loving
0: it. Just keep going. He's he loving it. Don't all right, stop. I want to st- I want to start right here with you because I heard Frank say earlier today that what they did yesterday, the 58 passing attempts and all that, that's not sustainable in the volume in which we saw yesterday, and I, I completely agree. They, they did that in that, that mini-bye week, that longer time they had, and I thought that really it worked out perfectly for what they needed to jumpstart this offense yesterday. However, I would ask you, because I asked you this last week as well, I've been really wanting to see something like this. Can they take variations of what we saw yesterday and make that longer term? Certainly, if not 58 passing attempts, in you Know, the tempo in which they played full time, but can they take variations of it and be good with it and utilize that moving forward? Yes, you definitely can't. You, you can't maybe do it
1: to that extent, as you said, every single week. And I think there are reasons for that. I can outline them. But definitely, depending on the matchup, depending on the situation in the game plan, I absolutely think they may have found something here. And so I'll just say this. I, I think there's a lot of people who maybe think, well, why can't we just do it all the time? And you've probably already hit on this, but, but if you're asking, that was covered today. And the reason is a couple of things. Number one, as Michael Pittman Jr. told me, he's like, I was exhausted. (laughs) Okay. So that's the first thing. You just can't keep up that pace. Right. They had, I think, uh, 74 plays. There's a lot of plays. Okay. Uh, The Jaguars had about 58. So it's a big difference. That's the first thing, but bigger than that is, you know, when, when you run the no huddle, what you do is you prevent the defense from substituting. So if they're out there with three linebackers and you're spread out, well, now they're in trouble. They can't substitute. But the other side of that is you also can't substitute You the offensive team. So you've got to roll with whatever receivers you've got or whatever running back you've got. Now, if you plan for it, you can make it work. So I think that is what you saw yesterday. They went into it with that intent. And so they went in there with a, a, a lineup that was versatile enough to kind of run different types of plays and maybe switch their formations up a little bit. It just locks you in a little bit more when you don't change your personnel. Right. And so that's the problem. But I'm with you. I think they have something here, and, and they are a rhythm offense, and they've got to find rhythm. They are a rhythm offense that hasn't had a rhythm till Sunday.
0: Uh, Steven Holder of ESPN.com. He does join us. Did did they say, was he, I know he was okay with it, I guess, and they're not going to continue to do it, but did they have intentions on throwing the football 58 times as it went down yesterday?
1: I, I don't know if they, if they thought it would be that high of a number, but they definitely had a, a passing game. Well, let me put it this way, a pass-first offensive game plan. Put it that way. And, and I think when you look at the situation, maybe we shouldn't be surprised by that, right? I mean, they had they had no Jonathan Taylor. They had no Naheem Hines. So your running game was certainly going to be hamstrung. Look, Deion Jackson did a good job, I thought, overall, but most of his damage was done in the passing game, honestly. You know, he had a couple of impressive runs, but it's not as though he had some dominant rushing performance, right? So they, I think they knew, particularly against Jacksonville, with that defensive front, which is really, really good. And we already knew that because we saw it in week two. I think they knew there wasn't a lot of sense in banging their heads against the wall. And that's the thing I will say about this coaching staff. I'll give them credit for this the last couple of weeks. There's lots of room for criticism. But the one thing they've done the last couple of weeks that I I think they deserve credit for is they have been willing to just throw things out and try something else. And and that's desperation in, in part, right? I understand that. Uh, But last week, go back to the offensive line. They didn't have the right combination, but they said, we don't care if we don't have practice this week. They only had two days of actual work. They said, screw it. We don't care. We're throwing out three different positions on the offensive line on three days rest on the road at Denver. They just, they went for it, right? They didn't work, but they tried something. I I appreciate that. And then this week they really just took a completely different approach offensively uh, and had great success in doing it. So, that's open-mindedness, and that is a willingness to be versatile, and you got to do that. I think that's what it takes when you're struggling.
0: What was the uh, tipping point to make that change at left tackle, which turned out to be a good change now, and we'll talk a little bit more about the day Dennis Kelly had yesterday, but, you know, he'd been, he'd been wondering himself why he wasn't getting an opportunity. It came so quickly yesterday. What was the final straw? Why did they make, why did they make that change as early as they made that change? So the story,
1: as it is told to me, is that they they intended to rotate Ryman and Dennis Kelly. Now I don't, I'd have to go back and look at the tape, and I haven't had a chance to do that yet. But I, I don't know if Ryman was was struggling as much as he was in Denver. I don't think that's true necessarily. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think they pulled him necessarily because all right, get him out of there. He's not playing well. Plan was to rotate. Now what happened is <laughs> Kelly got in there two things happened. Number one, he was playing well and they had a rhythm on offense. I think they just realized, screw it, you know? And and I think that's what you, that's another example, right? That's what you got to be willing to do. You can't worry about, you know, feelings or how it's going to look or, you know, what do you, what about next week? I mean, you got to do what you got to do to win today. And that's, that's a good example of it. And again, I don't, I give them some benefit of the doubt when they say it wasn't that Ryman was playing poorly and rather that Kelly was just in a groove and it was working. And they just said, why broke it? Why fix it? If it's not broke. And I think that's what happened. I mean, he played pretty well from the naked eye and I think well they'll have to decide on, on what they want to do there. Frank said yesterday, Frank Reich said they do want to, to give Ryman some room to grow there but I don't know. That may be a luxury they don't have right now. You know, and I was, well, in, favor yeah. I, I was in favor of it. I was in favor of it. I'll finish with this. I was in favor of that, letting him settle in and go through the growing pains, but not if there's a better option, you know, and then maybe they have a better option.
0: Yeah, you know, see, i would have to disagree because I think left tackle rotation is stupid. So I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that Kelly, no, I, I, I guess, separated him himself yeah. because I think it's stupid. I hate it.
1: No, I agree. I that's what I'm saying. Like I before yeah. Kelly came in the picture, my idea was, all right, look, Ryman's going to be probably a little rough in patches, okay, but yeah. I was my my goal was, or my position, I should say, was, you know what, he'll get better. He's got potential. He's he's athletic. Let him grow, okay. Let him push through it, and and Matt Ryan will just have to figure it out. But again, that was before you know we. we We had Dennis Kelly coming into the picture. I I wasn't really sure how much of a factor he might be at left tackle. I didn't know if he was more of a right tackle or a left tackle, but I'm I'm glad they did it. And honestly, it's like I said just now. You got to do what you got to do to win. And if he's the better option, then just play the guy.
0: Stephen Holder of ESPN.com is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So tell me this, do you think the upgrade and clearly no sacks and it was the best we've seen consistently this old line play certainly so far this year, was that a product of this offensive line getting better and Kelly being a part of it or the quick rhythm and the tempo in which they played? What was more yesterday?
1: That's a good question. It's, it's hard to tell, but... I do think that Ryan played with more confidence in part because the offensive line was more stable. And and that's the thing. I mean, Matt Ryan has looked bad at times. I mean, you've all seen it. It has been hard to watch at times. But I see a guy, or I have seen in previous weeks, I saw a guy who just had no confidence in his offensive line. It doesn't mean that he didn't screw up as well. He did. There's no question. But I saw a guy who was just playing with happy feet, uncomfortable, doesn't trust his protection and trying to do too much playing from behind. I mean, that's just a disastrous scenario. I don't care who you are. So I guess what I'm saying is that with the offensive line calmed down and, and not as leaky, I think that's where it all starts. Because frankly, they still made some throws down the field yesterday that required them to hold up in protection. He got the ball out faster, and that's a product of the game plan and his willingness to, to be decisive, Matt Ryan. But there's no question, at the end of the day, you still got to protect. They did that. They, they converted some long down and distance, and you can't do that without protection. So the, the big thing on the offensive line for me, the big thing is they have gotten, or at least yesterday, they got some stability at both tackle spots. Because Matt Ryan, I, I think he can see the pressure in front of him, but it's when you get that speed off the edge he can't deal with that okay he just cannot deal with that and so that has been I think the bigger issue of late is just the speed that they've gotten off the edge and so when you had at Denver Matt Pryor giving up I think nine pressures at right tackle well what in the world is Matt Ryan immobile as he is going to do with that and then you had obviously Ryman getting beat at left tackle by a very good pass rusher and Bradley Chubb right so Yesterday, you get two speed demons, okay, with, with Jacksonville, Josh Allen, Travon Walker, two really good players, and you know what? So what? <laughs> they handled it, right? That's what it's all about, man. And, and I think that when you've got a quarterback who who's able to see the field like Matt Ryan, just give them some time, man, and they, they have a chance to get this offense going. We discovered so much about this offense that we had no idea about yesterday. What if they can build on that, right?
0: Yeah, and then Stephen Holder joins us. It's a good point you make about that. How? Listen, maybe I'm wrong about this. I felt the only time that they really went deep with a deep shot was that touchdown pass at the end of the game to Alec Pierce. Is Am I accurate with that? And was that by design because of the lack of protection, because of the tempo in which they're going? Or do they not... Feel comfortable with taking those shots down the field with Ryan? Is there any? What would be more? I guess of those three, those three uh, uh, multiple choice answers, which one would be the most accurate in your assessment?
1: Yeah. So a, a couple of comments. I think that I'm, I'm looking for the the play chart here. So they got some they got some good distance on or I should say some good gains on some of their plays, some of their passes. Uh, looking at it here. They had, well, this the 32, but other than that, they had a 22-yarder was their longest, I guess, uh, that was, but that was, a, that was a check down to Jackson, right? So Jackson had a 22 yeah. and a 20. So here, here's what they did, and this is what I was going to say, and this kind of confirms it. They got some decent games, but they were run after the catch. And right. that's, a, that's actually a good thing, because I think they have guys capable of that. Uh, I think a good example is what they have in Kylan Granson, right? And he's a guy who, if you throw it to him in the right spot, now he may not go make some acrobatic, difficult catch, but if you throw it to him in stride and you get him going across the field on those tight end drags, he can can move, okay? You get him lined up on a linebacker, he can run away from that guy. And the same thing uh, with Pierce, for example. They didn't get this yesterday, but they're starting to use him in the middle of the field more often. And he's showing some toughness in there, by the way, to his credit. But what if, what if he gets a step on, on somebody and now he can run away from people, you know? So I think what they do by getting the ball out quickly is maybe you, what you don't get in the air yardage, you can possibly potentially get. in the.
0: That was really weird right there. What the hell kind of sound was that? Was that Satan? <laughs> hopping in on there, Kyle? What the hell happened there? <laughs> Did we just get hit by an asteroid? What the hell's going on with that? <laughs> uh, Kyle, are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Uh, and then I tried calling him back and went straight to uh, voicemail. So he Well, might he's have probably still talking. Are you are we all still here? Did we just get hit by an asteroid? I gotta call Bruce Willis. <laughs> I don't think I've been doing this show or pretty close to it for the better part of uh, 17, 18 years, and I don't think I've ever heard a sound like that. Back with us on the Andy Moran Automotive Group Hotline. Clearly, we were not hit by an asteroid. It's something cellular, so I happened? guess. I, I, <laughs> I don't know. What, what I don't know, but we just heard the weirdest sound. I thought, I, thought, I said we either got hit by an asteroid or... Satan intervened or something was going on. I'd never heard a sound like that before. It was weird. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, so we're okay. I don't know. Where were we? Where were we right there? Go back. Go back. Backpedal about yeah. 15 seconds prior to calling us back and, right. and inform us what we, you were talking about.
1: Yeah. So so what I was saying was what they didn't get maybe in, in stretching the field with, with the air yards maybe they can get it with um, getting the the yards after catch. You know, and I think they have the guys who are capable of that. I mean, you know, look at the guys they have. I mean, Pierce is certainly capable of that. Uh, Pittman is definitely capable of that. He's demonstrated that, I think, for three years. Uh, you've got Jelani Woods, I think, has some potential for that. Kylan Granson. So you've got a quarterback who can who can get the ball to people in stride and in rhythm. And then you have pass catchers who have the ability the potential at least to get some yards after the catch so so if you can't protect do the next best thing <laughs> get the ball to to guys quicker and let them do the work on the other end I think either one gets you where you want to go right now ultimately you're going to need some explosive plays at times particularly if you get coverages that encourage it and and I think at least we saw them do that on that last touchdown to Pierce so so they have that ability, too. But I think they're, they're more likely to get the big plays the other way.
0: It's uh, Stephen Holder of ESPN.com on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. He talked about that offensively in that final play with Alec Pierce going over the top like that on that one-on-one coverage. Uh, really, and I'm sure you've probably done this, if you go back and watch that play a number of times, there were some really interesting things going on. First of all, I was really surprised that that particular officiating crew, did not throw a flag for roughing the passer as low as that hit on Ryan was. He still yeah. got the ball off, and you can I'll, I'll give you everything, and you can just go ahead and talk about that play in general in just a second. But I, it, the ball was perfectly thrown, even with that low hit. And then the hand fighting that was going on for Pierce to finally get separation from Shaquille Griffin, it was amazing to watch the play within the play materialize to make that touchdown. It really was.
1: Yeah, if if, if the listeners haven't seen it, it, it's on my Twitter feed. You can go find it. I have the coach's film version of that play. So you can see the whole overview, everything you're talking about. And I I think that I'll start with the, the hit on Matt Ryan. I think that I have seen that exact play flagged so many times. I mean, it looks like the kind of call that you see against Tom Brady every week. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, yeah. I was stunned. I was kind of stunned. I didn't see it live, but then seeing it later, I really was stunned that that wasn't called. I mean, that is, I thought that's exactly the kind of play they're trying to legislate to get the, the low hits out on the quarterback. Uh, I mean, that's how you blow a knee out, frankly. And where would we be after that happens, right? So a uh, whole other conversation. Anyway, uh, on, the, on the perimeter with Pierce, love it. Because here's the thing. I love his description of it. We talked to him in the locker room, and he he was talking about how, you know, he he's been working on getting off of his press, getting off of press coverage. And one of the things that Reggie Wayne and others have been trying to impart on him is to be patient. And so what I mean by that is, you know, you you envision dealing with press coverage as being like, you know, get being really fast off of the line so that they can't get hands on you and and maybe eluding that press instead what he did was he didn't immediately uh give give the indication that he's going deep he kind of gave him a stutter step and and made him have to kind of hesitate Shaquille Griffin the corner and and then was patient about it and then based on Shaquille Griffin's reaction he was able to to find some space and go around him and I think that's exactly what you want you want a guy who who understands and matchups he understands matchups and and i love what he said he told me after the game he said you know that's my favorite part of the game is the one-on-one matchup that guy is is quiet and he's kind of unassuming right but let me tell you something uh, the people who scouted him and someone reinforced this to me yesterday he said he is one of the most competitive guys they've ever seen one of the most competitive guys they have ever scouted so that should tell you something about what you're dealing with there. It doesn't come across when you talk to him. It doesn't even come across when you watch him necessarily. But that guy, he wants all the smoke. And I, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm sold. He has sold me the last couple of weeks. I wasn't sure about this kid, but he is getting better and better, and he is not afraid.
0: Rodney McLeod in that secondary had a really nice afternoon. Was that a product of the running game going wild against this Colts defense, or was he just literally all over the field making plays? Uh, I think it's the latter. I think it's him being all over the field. Uh, They do have to
1: clean up those run fits, and and guys have to make sure they're in their lanes. That's an execution problem, I think. So that's a a good thing. If it's going to happen, you want it to be an execution problem that you can address. Now, on, on McLeod, I think I, so we talked to him today, in fact, and one of the things I asked him was, you know, how much of this is just you being an experienced and smart player and just anticipating things? Uh, it, a lot of it is, he said. You know, he's seen every every formation, he's seen every sort of uh, offensive alignment, attack, every every you know pre-snap motion, he's seen it all. And there was a play that. I don't know if anyone remembers it, and I can't remember if it was a third down or not. But there's a play where they try to run a screen, and McLeod's got a an offensive lineman bearing down on him. He dives below below the block and dives and makes the tackle with one hand. It was just a spectacular play, spectacular. And I think really that's just a guy who has a good feel for how to defeat a block, and and understands leverage and and all of the things that that have nothing to do with just being, um, you know, a, a, a good athlete. It goes beyond that. And I thought that was a great example of a veteran using everything at his disposal to make a big play.
0: Yeah, and in the, the whole the running game thing does got to be cleaned up a great deal. Yeah. Did they have full confidence, by the way, in Chase McLaughlin if they were going to have to go for 50?
1: I mean, I think he's earned that. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying he's Justin Tucker. I'm not saying, yeah. you know, just uh, take a knee. But uh, yeah, I, I, honestly, I think the fact that they took that shot it tells me that they were confident. Because frankly, if you're not confident, don't you just try to eke out a couple more yards and just make it a little easier? Well, if you're gonna if you're gonna take that deep shot, you're, you're that's a low percentage play, right? You're you're telling yourself, okay. This could well be incomplete, and we're just going to line up and kick it from here. So that tells me you feel pretty good about the kicker.
0: Well, and and then I think two plays prior, they were trying to get that extra yardage. That was after one of the bigger plays of the game, if not the biggest outside of that touchdown catch was Michael Pittman Jr. moving the chains on that third down catch on that crosser. But they, they tried that running play where clearly Quentin Nelson was going to pull, and Quentin Nelson actually stepped on the foot of Ryan and tackled him for that four-yard loss. That was a bad, bad <laughs> moment to have that happen.
1: Oh, man, that was a Murphy's Law moment, right? You know, it's like yeah. whatever can go wrong will go wrong. And I'm thinking this is the most Colts thing ever. <laughs> <Yeah,
2: laughs> These guys are going to
1: get themselves out of field goal range here. <laughs> so, yeah, trust me, I, I think we all had a, you've got to be kidding me, uh, reaction to that one for sure.
0: So, Stephen Holder with us. All right, Tennessee, round two coming up on Sunday. This is an absolute mammoth game, um, considering yeah. the circumstances. And once again, I wonder if we're going to hear too much in social media from Jim Ursay this week, because as we talked about leading up to that game a couple of weeks ago, that first round here in Indy, um, I have I, I, I call it smitten. Uh, some have mentioned jealous, but there is no doubt that he wants the results and he loves the way that Mike Vrabel and loves the way Tennessee goes about their business. He wants this about as bad as he wants anything. You think we'll hear from him this week?
1: Well, I don't know. I think he I think he has been a little more measured, I would say, you know, in, in recent months. I think the last time he really made a, a really big statement was, uh, maybe training camp. You know, when he started, when he was talking about Tennessee, uh, which is the yeah. conversation you're kind of talking about. That's the last time I think he's he's made a, a really outspoken statement. Uh, so, I, whether it's it's him just using judgment, or whether it's the people around him being successful and <laughs> taking his phone away, I don't know. But but he certainly is not. Um, he, he certainly has not been timid behind the scenes. I can tell you that he has not been timid. And I think everybody knows where he stands behind the scenes. Let's just put it that way, right? Uh, yeah. Now, yesterday's win, I think, helps and definitely takes some of the heat off. Uh, but, but he's been pretty worked up. Now, so whether he, he communicates it publicly, I can't, I can't forecast that. But make no mistake, uh, he's been lathered up behind the scenes.
0: Yeah, well, there's no doubt about it. And I think that he doesn't want to make it worse by, you know, normally normally we see stuff when he's in a good mood, right? And obviously not the end of last season, but normally now you see stuff. That's why I asked that because this really, this is the first, this has, you couldn't really even celebrate that much that Denver win because the level of play on both sides was so awful. So this was really the first legitimate outside of, you know, and Kansas city still came with kind of a disclaimer of that late flag that helped out the Colts a great deal. This was like the first one where the Colts just kind of grabbed it by the neck and took it. Yeah. I mean,
1: it still ended up being a one score game, I guess, but, but I think you just felt better about, about the way they played. You know, you felt like there was, there were possibilities in the way that they played. And I'll tell you though, listen, they have they have had a hell of a road, okay, so far. It's been it's been a long road, let's be honest. I mean, I feel like I've aged here in the last uh what, six weeks. <laughs> but yeah. let me tell you, there are ten teams there are ten five hundred teams in the NFL right now. I just went through and looked at this. And among them, okay, these are teams with a worse record than the Colts. We're talking about the Bucks, the Packers, the Rams. Uh, you know, there's <laughs> There's a lot of mediocrity right. out there, and they're right there. They've just got, but we, they've got to figure out who they are, and they've got to go get it done.
0: And, and while you're accurate about that, I would say that their margin for error with who their quarterbacks are and nothing against Matt Ryan mm-hmm. and who their offenses are and can be is a little bit larger than what you're dealing with here. So, I mean, I think well, you've got to toe the line here certainly much more than they would have
1: to, Correct. Yeah, well, the, the ceilings are higher for those other teams because of the quarterbacks, I would say. Yes, that is true. Um, but, I, I, yeah, so I'm, I'm not promising you that they're on, on the same footing. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is that, you know, look, this is we're seeing parity like we've never seen before right now. And it's all out there. But but you've got to figure out who you are, and you have to show it, and you got to prove it every single day, um, no matter where, where you stand today.
0: Hey, Stephen, I appreciate you very much so. And uh, next up, I guess I'll see you uh, a week from Sunday, the press box with no Carson Wentz here. That's too yeah. bad. No Carson. I mean, it's too bad for the, the pick situation, and it's too bad because I really wanted to see that drama. I wanted to see a little bit of that soap opera. Too bad. Yeah, let's, so, yeah we, we all wanted to see how that was going to go. Oh, we know. did, buddy. We did. I appreciate you, man. Okay, take care via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Piline from the morning show, Kevin and Query. Weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m., our friend Jake Query joins us. Um, I, seriously, I don't know how much of what we saw, at least offensively, is sustainable with this team, but yesterday, clearly it was necessary to go into that mode, and I like it that the coaching staff and the offense went a different direction because clearly it was the difference in winning and losing that game against Jacksonville yesterday.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, what we saw, JMV was that when you're going against – because, listen, I realize that Jacksonville is not at this point going to be confused with an upper echelon NFL team, but it is probably certainly at the very least an above-average front four defensively, and I think it's beyond that. I mean, I think they're pretty aggressive and they're pretty nasty defensively, you know, as we've seen from their front four. So to go through the changes that the Colts did – And particularly, listen, credit where due. I mean, I have been critical of the Colts. I've been critical of the way they've been constructed. But to be fair and to be balanced, I have to tip the cap when, you know, those things that I've said have been proven wrong. This is that case on this Monday in the fact that, you know, they on the offensive line, they played well. And Dennis Kelly going in there at left tackle, I thought, you know, showed himself well. And Harris Campbell for that matter, I, Paris Campbell is a guy that, that, you know, we've had plenty of opportunity to critique Paris Campbell and be critical of him. But yesterday I thought that he not only played really well and, you know, took every snap, but also made an, an incredibly athletic play for certain um, and kudos to him. And lastly, I think for Matt Ryan to be able to say that, you know, he was confident or I, I can't remember if he said confident or comfortable and throwing that pass to Alec Pierce on a third and 13. But to be able to say that about a rookie just playing in a sixth game in the NFL says a lot. So the areas that we have once been critical, they perform very well. And so absolutely kudos to them and crow eating on my end.
0: Well, I, listen, we go every week and we talk about exactly what transpires in a game, all right? And let's just face it consistency speaking, there hadn't been a lot there, positive. So it's been a struggle. I mean, even in one of their wins, there wasn't a lot other than that win itself to talk about positively. So yesterday, I think, was the first real consistent opportunity. Even in the Kansas City game, you had to have a little bit of help with a flag in that final drive to get them there. And listen, you're not going to take away any of those wins, but discussing these games can become a little bit problematic because there has not been that level of consistency that you want as far as positive playing from this team. And you got that other than the run defense, Jake, in the second half. You really got that. And, and sustainability wise, you got that in the second half from this offense for the first time. And we've seen it this season. I mean, truly speaking, that was the longest we had seen this team playing well. And what you liked about them moving the football yesterday that we had seen the entire season thus far.
2: Yeah, listen. I I think you know Derek Schultz and I were talking about this. I think Derek made a really good point to me when he said this was the first game that felt like the Colts went out and won, and they needed to do that. Right? They needed to have a game because not listen. A win's a win. I mean, I get that. And like Jim Mersey said, what like you know even every win looks like Raquel Welch or whatever it was he said. But the reality is that the two wins they had on their resume heading into yesterday were Kansas City who was, you know, a unsportsmanlike penalty away from stealing that game. So I am I, I, I want to be hesitant here because I don't want people to jump down my throat, but let's let's be honest. You know, it was kind of gifted to them a little bit. I mean, it's a great team and it's a great win. Don't get me wrong, but, you know, we know the reality there. And then the Denver game, which was just an ugly game all the way around, which felt like it was one of, one of the two teams was going to have to win that game. And Denver certainly never took it from them. I mean, no question, Not, you know, so this was a game where the, when things were on the line, the Colts were able to make the plays necessary to take the win away. And, and kudos to them for that. And I thought, listen, at the end of that game, and this is part of this is because it's Jacksonville, don't get me wrong, but I think a really good point was made this morning. Somebody called in our show and said they felt like when the Colts got the ball back after Lawrence had taken the Jaguars down and killed nine and a half minutes and scored, The Colts were only down a point, and you really did feel pretty comfortable with the way their passing game was going and the rhythm that Ryan was in that they were going to get themselves at the very least in field goal range. And listen, kudos to them for throwing that touchdown pass. But um, I I just thought they, when it came down to it, the Colts exerted themselves and did what they had to do to take that game from Jacksonville. And that from a confidence and just from a – and the establishment of who they are, I think, was really important.
0: So, Jay Query, The Morning Show, Kevin and Query, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. here on 93.5 and 107.5. The fan is with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Podline, Buffalo Wild Wings. We are in Carmel today, 146th Street. Also, with our friends from Zinc and Bud Light. You know, when you watch that final touchdown pass play to Alec Pierce, you notice there was a lot going on in that play. I, I documented this earlier. Considering the uh, officiating crew that we were talking about. I was surprised that there was not a roughing the passer call because there was a low hit as Ryan delivered that as perfectly as you could. And then when you look at Alec Pierce and Shaquille Griffin going at it with the hand fighting, and then for Pierce to get that separation at the end and haul it home, there was a lot of beauty and a lot of stuff going on in that one single pass play itself.
2: Totally agree. Um, I think Matt Ryan said it well when he essentially said that when it comes to Alec Pierce, he is very confident in his ability to get that separation. And what I think makes Alec Pierce unique as a receiver, aside from being a rookie and being able to do that, he's able to get separation twice, if that makes sense, John. He can get separation at the line with just his burst off the line, but then his ability to separate from the defender by, I'm not saying push off, by getting himself, his body strength and control to get himself space and then you know take a ball away this guy Pittman is a great player and Pittman is I think Jeff Saturday agreed or, or excuse me disagreed with me a little bit this morning when I said that I think Pittman was becoming a focal part of you the know, the focal part of their offense because when Ryan is able to go to Pittman with regularity over the middle it kind of opens everybody else back up. And Jeff Saturday was saying he thinks that's still Jonathan Taylor. I get that. It's hard to argue that. But I think Pierce's emergence has a lot to do with Pittman's ability to allow it because Pittman is taking such a high amount of attention over the middle that it's freeing guys up. But look, Pierce has to be able to make those plays and get that separation. And he's able to do it to a level that, for this early in his career, not a lot of guys have done. Most of the guys as receivers that had this kind of impact this early on are guys that were around for a long time. And it's a real encouraging thing for Indianapolis. I realize that, you know, six games does not a season or a career make, but he's off to obviously the kind of start that they envisioned for him. Got off to a little bit of a slow start, but I think at this point, you'd have to say based on the last couple of weeks, he might even be ahead of where you wanted him to be at this point. So, I, you know, he's encouraging for certain.
0: All right. And we'll get to coming up next in Nashville in, in just a second with Jake Query with us. Offensive line-wise, I like it. They had that extra, extra time to prepare because of that Thursday night game. And I was screaming on Thursday night at the half of of trying to go with some tempo. I was screaming with, you know, shorter routes because the offensive line just – is not able to handle it, and they still may not be able to. So a variation of what we saw yesterday, and I know Frank said earlier today that this is not sustainable, and while I understand that, I think you're going to have to go with a variation because there's still not legit proof that this offensive line can't protect as long as as this offense before we saw the offense yesterday would like to think it can, you know what I mean? There's still no evidence of it. And we really saw the way that this offense went yesterday, help out that offensive line protection wise immensely.
2: Yeah, I think their offensive scheme, great point by you. I think the scheme they came up with probably helped out the offensive line as much as anything else, but I have just always felt like from an offensive line standpoint, you need to have continuity in terms of players understanding and recognizing what those around them are doing. And that camaraderie is as important oftentimes as it is the level of time. Ta- I mean, don't get me wrong. You can't deny if you've got five guys that are hall of fame linemen on your line, you take that, but, but, Average to above-average linemen can become very good linemen if they are surrounded by players that they have a camaraderie and a unity with. And for whatever reason, that group yesterday seemed to have it. Now, I don't know what took so long in being able to make that change on the left side and getting Kelly in there. I know that they were waiting for him to be healthy. I get that, but it seemed as though he was ready to go even earlier. But they, they played well. Part of that, though, John, to your point, I think you're trying to make here is, or that you have said, is you have to be cautious of over, having overconfidence, if you will, in that group moving forward if you're not going with that hurry up. You know How much of that was related to the schematics and how much of that was related to the camaraderie and, and the group that you had on the, the field? That's what they're going to have to figure out. And if it was strictly the schematics of the hurry-up, then guess what? You, you, then you've entered into the Colts that we've known in the past, which is playing predominantly hurry-up. But that's what they got to do. That's what they got to do.
0: Well, I, I think there's probably going to have to be some variation, and we saw that yesterday. We've seen the king of the crossers as Michael Pittman Jr., and, and you can make an argument that that third down catch that got them that first down and uh, put them down in legitimate field goal range Besides Alec Pierce and that game clincher was the biggest play to be in the game.
2: Oh, I don't think there's any question. And he, listen, when, and by the way, John this morning told me that I say the word listen too much, and so now I'm hyper aware of it, and I do, so I apologize. <laughs> I'm trying to cut down on saying the word listen. That's like my, that's my crutch phrase. You and I talked earlier today, John, about how we all have kind of that, that crutch phrase that we rely on to Yeah. Us. So, John, I'm working on it. I really am working on that.
0: Yeah. I I, I get that sometimes. I haven't gotten it in a while because I like you would also, if somebody were to say that to me, I would probably go, okay, well, hell now I'm not going to be able to say that my wife, my wife would do that to me all the time. It would just completely piss me off. Yeah. I I actually appreciate
2: people pointing it out because in his, in the case of John this morning, he's absolutely right. I no doubt about it. And so I, you know, I want to get better. (laughs) And so I've got to work on that, but Pittman, to me, what he did yesterday that I thought was just so important. And it's funny to say it about a guy like Matt Ryan who surpassed Dan Marino yesterday on the all-time passing yardage list. So that shows you the experience and the talent level of a Matt Ryan. Even with that, all quarterbacks need their crutch phrase. They all need that word they fall back on that they say too much like listen. And in the case of Matt Ryan, he needed that player to be Michael Pittman yesterday, where each time to get in, Matt Ryan is a rhythm. He's a rhythm shooter, man. And we've all seen games where Steph Curry, the ball wasn't falling for him, but he kept shooting until those shots start coming in. And then Holy cow, look out. And I think the same can be said for Matt Ryan. If you can get Matt Ryan in rhythm and you can get him comfortable then all of a sudden, holy cow, look out, he could start rolling a little bit. And I think Michael Pittman was the guy that provided that comfort level for him yesterday that allowed that rhythm to start going. And it was great to see. I think Michael Pittman Jr. is has really, I, I mean, we knew he was, a, a, you know, obviously a great player, but he was that was his best outing yesterday. And it was exactly what they needed because it is my opinion, I'm not saying it's right, But it's my opinion and observation that when Pittman is rolling like that, that then frees everything else up. And if I'm Alec Pierce and I'm Paris Campbell, Michael Pittman Jr. yesterday absolutely worked his way onto my Christmas card list because that frees everything else up off of it, which is huge, in particular in a game when you don't have Jonathan Taylor, who's your most dynamic threat on the field for you.
0: So Jay Quarry, the morning show is with us um, away from yesterday's game. We'll move forward to Nashville in just a second. But speaking of Music City, they got the OK to build a new stadium. And I had thought that it was going to be one and done for a Super Bowl for Andy anyway. Does this not even more solidify that fact now moving forward when Nashville gets this new stadium? Right. And uh, Super Bowl-wise, there you go, correct, and no more Indy. That was always been my thought, but uh, I think it's even more so now with that news today.
2: I think that's fair. I don't know that Indianapolis necessarily wanted to push all in again on getting another Super Bowl anytime soon for a number of reasons, um, but it didn't seem to me like the, the. I don't want to speak for the Super Bowl committee or what would be a, a redo of that, but it seems to me like yeah. they were kind of aware that that, listen, it, see, there I go again. Um, it was great. I mean, everything was perfect. Everything. It almost felt like, John, when you're talking about February Indianapolis weather, you don't want to have to test that again because it was so perfect. It was the walk-off. Yeah. All, and I get why people would want to have it again. I have not seen, I will be curious to see, maybe it's out there, what the public... Subsidy dollars are, you know, what the amount is going into a new stadium for the Titans. I am, Rob Kendall and I are spirit animals in this regard. If you listen to to Rob in the midday on WIBC, I know that he is very opposed to public subsidy for sports venues, as am I. I. I'm not saying not at all, but I think there should be a cap on it. I realize the importance of sports in this community, and I'm thankful that it allows us have very enjoyable jobs and for people to have something to specifically rally around. I understand the importance of sports here, but I'm curious the amount that is going into it because how old is Nissan stadium? 25 years old, 24 years old. It is amazing to me to think that we are already, what year is this for Lucas
0: oil stadium this year? Fifteen? Oh, is it uh, 17? Oh, oh, nine? Oh, eight or oh, nine?
2: nine. Was it? So you're 14, maybe. 13 or 14. Which okay. means it's already 50% the age that the RCA Dome was when we imploded it. I don't think Lucas Oil Stadium in any way, shape, or form. I've never heard a single rumbling that, that there would ever be talk about replacing it. But at what point do you start entering that arena? I just think it's kind of a dangerous precedent. But that state, all of that said, that stadium looks really nice that they're proposing in Nashville. And it's going to be right next to the area where the IndyCar track goes through. So I've seen that area, and I can tell you that is, it's kind of like that old stamping plant we have on, on our west side. It's an area in Nashville that absolutely will be welcomed to have something go in there and that I would assume the current stadium becomes a park and expanded parking lot. But it's an area that they could definitely use some upgrade to. So in that regard, it's cool.
0: Wait, and and just because yesterday. just because you asked, and I want to put it this way, uh, Nissan Stadium was erected in 1999. I just wanted to say erected, really. I didn't care. I could have said built, constructed, <laughs> but I chose erected just because I wanted to. <laughs> 1999. <laughs> he was. Well, I think before that, didn't they play in Memphis? And then they played at Vanderbilt, the uh, the played, old Houston Oilers. They were, they were, were all good. over the yeah. map there in Tennessee for a while. Yeah.
2: Were they watching Phoebe Cates coming out of the pool in 1999? Is that what happened?
0: <laughs> yeah. Mem- they were in Memphis. They played at the Liberty Bowl then and, and played at Vanderbilt. So in the Nissan Stadium in 19. 19- Ninety-nine. All right, um, we know this, that Jim Irsay has been very outspoken, and he was before that first Tennessee game here. Incredibly disappointing with the loss. Uh, Very outspoken about how he wants to see his team beat the Titans. How much of that do you think – I've called it smitten. I've called it a little bit of jealousy. How much do you think that that is the true case with the Colts owner, considering the success, the most recent success Tennessee's had, and how he's kind of wanted not just that success – But really, this is how this Colts team is supposed to play. Kind of like they play in Nashville. They were built. Is it smitten? Is it a little bit of jealousy with the Colts owner there, you think? I think the
2: blueprint is there that he sees on what he would love to recapture for his franchise, no question. When the AFC South was first formed for a brief moment there, the Titans were the team to beat. They came in here and... I. I think the Colts brass has always, Jim Mersey included, certainly Bill Pullion, I think they've always felt a slight on the number of fans that were here rooting for the Titans in the first ever home playoff game in the history of this franchise. And I know this franchise has had a billion great things happen to it since then, but I don't know that you ever forget your first slight. And I think that Jim Mersey kind of feels like that was, and it was the divisional foe which made it worse. And then the Colts took over the division and owned it for so long that I think it's been very surreal and bizarre for him to see another franchise take that back. So, yes, yeah. especially considering they play the way that the Colts have always prided themselves on what they're building. Going back now, not just this GM, but the one before. Winning in the trenches, punchy in the mouth, being strong, being built for January, you know, run the damn ball all of that, all of those things that the Colts have preached, the Titans have executed, and that has to to still sting a little bit.
0: Yeah, yesterday it was throw the damn ball. Jake Cray joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Before I let you go, uh, both Joe Wrights and Bill Brooks told me this yesterday, and I'm kind of curious where you, you are on this because normally we think that coming off a bye week is, you know, a bit of an advantage for a team like Tennessee. But they explained that maybe it can be a disadvantage because these guys bail out, get out of football mode, and it's tough to restart that once you get out of it, the, the week leading back up to that next game. You buy that? Now, say that one more time. They, they say that it's almost opposite as far as the advantage is concerned, that the, the disadvantage is more having the bye week and coming back from it because you have to restart, not so much an advantage because you had that week off to get healthy and feel better.
2: Yeah, I, listen, I will, I will obviously defer to what guys who have gone through it have said, but I could see that. I, you know, John, I took one day off. I was off on Friday. And my buddy Mike Byron and I did our annual road trip that we do each year to memorialize our buddy Turhan. And I was gone. I mean, we I went down to New Orleans and had a beer with Eric Ritchie. And then we, you know, Byron and I got up and, and took off on Saturday morning. And, and I was gone for two days. And even with that, getting up this morning and going into work while I love doing it and while we had a lot to talk about and it was fun, it's still kind of reset. You still kind of have to get your mind right to go back into work, and that was after one day off and and basically a three-day, quote-unquote, vacation, two of them on a weekend. So I can't imagine what it's like to go through the rigors of the NFL and then all of a sudden have to reset yourself to get back. I do think from a physical standpoint, there is something to be said for allowing your body to recover. But at the same time, sometimes it's easier to just keep going, right? Just keep, keep, keep rolling, keep rolling, keep rolling, keep rolling. I, so I will trust that those guys probably are right that it that it is a it can be a tough reset. Now I've always felt like the advantage for the Colts is when they have the bye week later in the year because that's the time when you are most likely to have the nagging injuries that you need to take care of and get your body right. But getting your mind right is a big battle of it in the NFL. And I think when you look at veterans in the NFL, a lot of them will tell you that the biggest challenge of the NFL, aside from how you feel on Tuesday getting out of bed in the morning or Monday is just having your mind right and keeping yourself psychologically in it. I think it's why Tony Dungey used to break the season down into quarters so that it didn't feel like the long, arduous sled ride that it, that it is and that it was. You know? Hey, I know that, you're
1: – you you, see... Yeah.
2: Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, uh, did Finish you out. see the, the Carson Wentz – I saw Carson Wentz may miss some time with this finger yeah. injury which is not to bring up Carson Wentz. I know it's a sour subject here, but that does have relevance for the Colts, right? Because of the draft pick involved. Yes. So, you know, you, the, the one guy that they don't want to have, like, sitting out and getting healthy, and, and that's
0: exactly what's going to happen, it looks like. By the way, in southern Indiana, it's fanger and not finger. Remember that. <laughs> fanger, not finger. Hey, I, before I let you go quickly, you went to Baton Rouge and then to Oxford over the weekend. Did you visit the film... Filming locations of the toy, the film, the toy in the early 80s while you were in Baton Rouge. Man,
2: I remember the film, the toy, did not yeah. see the, the locations. If, had I known, I probably definitely would have had I thought of it. I will tell you, LSU's campus and, and University of Mississippi both are beautiful. I mean, beautiful yeah. campus. Like, you know, I know IU's got a beautiful campus and produced that a lot with theirs, but those two schools, I, I thought to myself, man. You know, with the the two two that I pulled coming out of North Central High School, my my options were limited. Uh, Old Miss probably could have been in play for me, but I took one look at that campus. and Thought, man, if I'd a senior in high school, I probably would have come here. It was beautiful.
0: Yeah. Yep. You didn't go by and see where they filmed because you remember the Jackie Gleason's character was U.S. Bates, and they called him U.S. U.S. Oh, yeah. Bates, Master Bates well, too. They called him Master all the time. That was I, I love little. I I, the people don't remember that, and it probably wouldn't go very well nowadays, right? But back then, I thought that was a pretty good film, and obviously Richard Pryor is one of my all time favorites, regardless. Oh,
2: Pryor was great in it. Pryor was absolutely great in it, man. And that was that was what probably a year or two before Brewster's Millions, right? That would have been the highest. Yeah,
0: yeah. Brewster's Millions, I think, was eighty eighty three. This I'd have to look. This may have been the first. I'm trying to think. Was this the first film, or was Stir Crazy the first film after he burned himself? It might have been Stir Crazy the first film after he burned himself, but this is pretty close, right? This is when he really went into, hey, I've lost a lot of money. I've got to make some of this back. And, you know, into the 80s and the late 80s, he was making anything. You know, condition critical and moving and all that stuff. He was he was making anything back then. But this, this is I liked a great deal. It had Jackie Gleason in it. Can't go wrong. <laughs>
2: Jackie Gleason... I mean, can you imagine the bingo card you could have won if you would have known that ahead of time that Jackie Gleason and Richard Pryor yeah. would make it be together?
0: It's, it's awesome, man. It is. All right. Kevin and Quarry, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. here on The Fan. Let's go host Jake Cray with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. All right, man. Good to have you back, and uh, we'll talk at you later on this week. Appreciate it. Rick Carlisle, Alec Pierce on with us tomorrow morning, John. Thanks. I got you. Rick Carlisle, who listens to the JMV Takeover, and Alec Pierce. That is coming up tomorrow on The Morning Show, 7 until till 10 a.m.